So, I'd like to, we are in for a treat tonight, all. Please welcome Miss Sarah Yang. Hello, everyone. How's it going? Good? Right on. I am so excited about tonight. (laughs) I'm very honored and privileged to be speaking to this group of people. Blazing Fire to me, Blazing Fire saved my life. When I came here two years ago, I was a complete wreck. I don't know if you saw me back then, but I was the one crying all the time. I just couldn't stop. I just, during worship, crying, you know, the word crying, and then like, and then oftentimes Russ and Susan and Diane and just so, Teresa, so many would minister to me. I'd just be bawling. And, I I think if I had not found Blazing Fire, actually God brought me here, I don't know where I'd be right now. So I just want to start off by saying thank you so much for letting me speak to all of you. It's a tremendous honor and privilege. You have all contributed to me being where I am today, no doubt. I'm going to share more on that, but... I just wanted to say that because I'm, I'm just completely blown away by this opportunity to share with all of you. So three weeks ago, um, when they, uh, actually about a month ago, even before, uh, Susan asked me to come share, I started hearing very clearly things from God, I think for his people. And I was just, it was unusual. I had a very vivid prophetic dream, and I, I just want to preface that by saying, like, this isn't a normal occurrence to me, but this dream was so vivid, and I believe it's because something huge is happening in the spiritual realm right now. So I'm going to share that dream with you. It was actually on September 19th. It was, in the dream, it was pouring rain outside, and inside... I was with a young man, and we were listening to Bill Johnson messages. And he, he looked at me, and he started talking to me, and he just said, what's your favorite Bill Johnson message? And I said, um, I don't, I don't know. And I, I didn't even really get to answer him. And this man, he had no fear of man. Like, he was just so intense, and like, there's just something very unusual about him. And honestly, you know, we're mainly women in the room. He was, like, very attractive to me. So (laughs) I hope that's that's God saying he's going to give me a husband. But um, (laughs) um, but anyway, back to the dream, back to the dream. Sorry, I had to sneak that in there. Um, But then he looked at me and he said, My favorite message is the one about seasons. And he said, 
It's very important to know what season you're in. There are so many seasons in the book of Ecclesiastes. There's a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to scatter, a time to gather, a time to tear down and build, right? But if you know what season you're in, you'll know what there's grace for in the kingdom. If it's autumn, then you know not to look for strawberries, but to look for pumpkins. So it is with the kingdom. The king determines the season, and if we know what season we're in, we can step into the flow and grace and flavor of that season. So I woke up from this dream, and it was... It was one of those dreams where it was so vivid. And I knew that the man was Jesus. Like when I woke up, I'm like, that was Jesus. And I really believe we're in the midst of a a season change. I want you guys to be honest with your own hearts right now. And God, I do pray, Lord, help us to be fully present with you and our hearts and one another right now. And just speak to us and help our hearts to be open. How many of you guys have felt like you've been on the back burner or on the backside of the desert or forgotten by God or hanging by a thread every single day? Okay. And you feel like you've been a vessel that's been shelved. You used to be in the game and somehow you got benched. Okay, good. I'm speaking to the right crowd. <laughs> well, I'm, this whole message is for you, actually. <laughs> Those of you who are feeling that way. It says in Ecclesiastes 3, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. Right now, I believe we're in the midst of a season change, as the dream was saying. And you don't go harvesting strawberries when it's autumn. You go harvest pumpkins and make pumpkin pie. So what season are we in? I believe part of the transition we're in right now is that some of us have been operating in a train track mentality, treating our relationship with God like he's a railroad. And the reality is God is not a railroad. He's a river. Let's talk a little bit about the train I'm very familiar with this train. I lived in this mentality for probably my whole life until very recently. So the way I viewed life was this. This is the path that God has for me. It's like a straight and narrow path, and there's it's just one way. And if you get off track, it's going to take a lot for you to get back on track again. <laughs> And it's like you missed it. You somehow missed God. If you just like make a wrong turn, you turn right or you turn left a little bit, you're in trouble. So you're constantly praying, God, what's your will? What's your will? What's your will? And you're constantly like trying so desperately to stay in this very, very narrow line. Is anybody relating to this? Okay, good. I thought so. (laughs) Good, I'm not alone. And it was... I was riding in this little railroad track in a tiny little boxcar called Religion and where I had to do everything right to stay on track. 
I had to be in the right place at the right time with the right people, saying the right things, thinking the right thoughts, and then maybe I'll get to my destination. And this railroad track had substations, like, you know, train stations. And in my mind, the train stations were, I'm going to get an education. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to get married. I'm going to buy a house. I'm going to have kids. That was my train track. It's very safe, I thought, very comfortable, very predictable. And I checked all the boxes for, I mean, well, I was getting, I was doing pretty well on this little train track, actually. I got a, I got a good education, got a good job, and I was actually about to get married. And my train got derailed, majorly. In 2011, a month and a half before I was going to get married, it came out that he was living a complete double life. And he was like three generations of ministry. Like, I mean, I checked all the boxes, you guys. You know, I did everything right. And I just, I was a very highly functional truly a slave, but I didn't know that. But I was checking all the boxes of do's and don'ts. And I, uh, you know, I had it all. I thought I had a ministry. I had, yeah, a fiance. I had a job. I had a place and everything. So yeah, July 2011, a month and a half before the wedding, it comes out, he's living a double life in a span of less than two months. I lose him. I lose my community. I lose my ministry. I lose my house. I lose my job and I get in a car accident. <laughs> yeah, my box car basically exploded. And I had no grid for what just happened. Because the God that I believed in, if you do everything right, you're at the right place at the right time with the right people thinking the right thoughts, doing all the right things. Nothing bad will happen to you. That's really what I genuinely believed. I never said it out loud, but that's what I really believed. And little did I know, I I was a Buddhist because that's Buddhism. (laughs) Because Buddhism is all about karma where you do good, you get good, you do bad, you get bad. And so I'm like, what in the world is going on here? And let me tell you something. If the God you believe in can be shaken, he's not really God. If the God you believe in can be shaken, he's not really God. Because the real God cannot be shaken. And my God was shaken big time. I mean, he was crumbling. My make-believe karma God was getting destroyed. (laughs) You know... I said, I didn't know this, but in my mind, God can be the conductor of my train, 
so long as he makes all the stops at the substations of my definition of success. So as long as God fits on this idea of what I believe to success to be, I get an education, get a job, get a house, you know, all that stuff. Okay, as long as the conductor takes that train track, I'm, I'm good with him and he can go ahead and lead my train. He can have my train. So in 2011, when all this happened, so many people who I thought were my friends were no longer there. I didn't realize it, but everything in my life was based on function. And they were friends with me so as long as I was highly functioning. And when I could no longer function because I was a ball of mess with losing everything in a span of less than two months and doing everything that I know is right, I was just completely lost. So when my train got derailed, I went into about a, over two years of pretty deep depression. It was a miracle I didn't kill myself. The God that I believed in no longer, I mean, it was, there's, that was the death to the God that I knew up to that point. And I didn't know if there was a real God anymore. And if he was there, why would he let this happen to me? So that's how I came to Blazing Fire. <laughs> that's, that's the state that I was in. Just so you guys know why I was crying every time. <laughs> because I was so desperate to believe that there is a God. But all that I knew was of God was shaken and destroyed and wrecked in this train wreck. Called my life. I lost it all. And the most craziest thing about Blazing Fire is I came here completely dysfunctional, like not functioning. All I could do was cry. I couldn't, I couldn't give anything. I couldn't do anything. And it was the exact opposite experience that I've had my entire life. When I wasn't functioning, when I was just a ball of mess, people get up and get going. You know, this is actually how I felt. I felt like I was running a marathon for Jesus and then I broke my leg and I was like down on the ground and everybody was like, get up, Sarah, get up, get up for the kingdom, get up. You have to get up and keep running. And it's like, you have to, you, if you get to the end of the, of the race, you'll get a trophy, but you got to get up and keep going. I can't tell me, tell you how many people kept telling me that, like through prophetic words, Sarah, just get back up. You got to get back up. You got to get back up. And you know what? I became so bitter and angry at God because whoever, in my mind, I'm like, if that's God, I don't want him. (laughs) When I have a broken leg, all he can tell me is I have to advance to get back up so I can advance the kingdom of God and function. And like, what about my leg? Does God even care about that? 
Does he care that my heart is broken in two or a million pieces how it felt? And I, and who cares about the race? And you know, in the, in the midst of me feeling this way of just like, you know, so many well-meaning people were like, Sarah, you're amazing. You're powerful. Get back up. You need to get back in the race. You got to get back in the ministry. You got to, you know, go advance the gospel. Do all the do, 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 do. Like, I was just like, (laughs) and at one point, I actually was pretty much going to kill myself. I was, I was at a point of, I had panic attacks. Everything was just a mess. And my friend called me out of the blue and he said, Sarah, I need to talk to you. I'm moving to Singapore, but the Lord said, I need to talk to you before you go. And I'm like, the last thing I want right now is a prophetic word of you, especially I was thinking in my mind, if you, he's probably gonna give me a prophetic word, Sarah, you're, you're called to change nations, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to hear that right now. But he, he said, no, Sarah, you really need to come over. The Lord told me to tell you something. So out of courtesy, I'm like, all right, fine. I'll, I'll come over. So I went over to his place. Him and his wife were packing up their stuff. And he said, I was brushing my teeth two weeks ago. And the Lord told me that um, he was thinking about you a lot and that he knows you're crying yourself to sleep every night. I didn't tell anybody that. And he's like, and that he knows that you want to end it. I was like, oh my, it's, and every night while you're crying, he is on your bed crying with you. And Sarah, he told me to tell you two words. God wants to say to you, I'm sorry. At that moment, I knew where God was when I was running that marathon and broke my leg. While I was here... (laughs) Jesus was holding me. And he was in no hurry for me to get back up. That's what Blazing Fire has been for me for two years. I've been here. They have never once rushed me to get up. You guys have loved me so well. Do you understand that this is the opposite of the, how the world operates? That when we're at our lowest, we hold people and we're not telling them to get back in the game and just keep going for the sake of the kingdom. That's God's heart. God is more concerned about your broken leg than he is about anything else. That's why I'm talking to you right now, because he wants you to know that. He sees your broken heart. He sees how hard it's been. He knows that sometimes you just want to give up. And he's not telling you, get back up for the sake of the kingdom. He's actually on the ground with you, holding you. And just kissing your leg 
Yeah, and healing it. This is what happened when I lost everything. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. When I lost everything that I thought that mattered to me, proving my worth, that was really what mattered to me. I wanted to prove to everyone my true worth. I realized what really mattered that I have always been loved and has nothing to do with anything I can give or do. There's a saying that says, you don't realize Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And as long as our lives are founded upon things other than God, our lives will always feel insecure. We're always scared of it being shaken because it's founded on something not solid and we know it. We know when we're standing on sand, you know, we can feel it and we're scared and we try to control and we're, we're just so afraid. And, but when you come to a place where you really are resting on him, nothing can shake you. And that's where he wants to bring all of us. So this whole substation idea of success, this is actually founded on a very broken foundation. And do you know what that broken foundation is? The only reason why you want to advance on a scale like this is if you believe you're lacking something or you're missing something or you're not successful and you need to become successful, you need to prove yourself And that's not true. The biggest thing that I've been meditating on, at least this year, has been you are enough. I am enough. Because everything in this world, the media is constantly telling you, you are not enough. You have to compensate through buying a car or making a 100K or, you know, getting with someone beautiful Like this whole world is founded on lack. That you're missing something, you're lacking something, you're not enough. And that's why we get on this stupid train track, honestly. (laughs) But scripture tells us that those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And that the Lord is our shepherd and we shall not want We have everything we need because Jesus is inside of us and Jesus got everything. He's got it all. So if he has everything and he lives inside of me, guess where everything is? Right here. This is a really cool quote I read recently. You're not a drop in the ocean. You're the ocean in a drop. Every single person in this room is the is an ocean in a drop because Christ lives in you. Yeah. You're not insignificant. You actually are more significant than you're you're carrying Jesus, 
The ocean lives inside of you. So, thankfully, there's another way through life other than a railroad, a train. So I went um, whitewater rafting back in 2012, and it was my first time. And our river guide happened to be one of the most experienced river guides. He's like oh, done this for over a decade, and what he does for a regular basis, he'll fly down to like, you know, into South America, like Costa Rica, and he will chart rivers that nobody has ever taken whitewater rafting on. He will be hired to say, can you take a tour on this river? And so he'll map it out. So he's used to going on uncharted waters. So he's guiding us. And I'm just, I'm just tripping because this guy is so good. He's just like constantly watching the water and he'll literally just, you know, watch. And then he'll say to us three paddles to the left and one on the right. So we're paddling one, two, three, one. Boom. We're right in the current. And I'm like, what? I'm like, look at the water. I'm like, I don't see no current. What the heck? Just, how did he see that? And like time and time again, we would be veering and he'd go, okay, uh, two paddles on the left, one on the right. And we do it. And then boom, we hit the, the current again. I'm like, what in the world? So finally, I'm like getting super curious and I'm like, okay, how do you know which path to take? How do you know how to do that? How do you, how do you know, like, how many paddles it'll take to get us in the current. And where, how do you even know where the current is? And he said something to me, to me so profound. He said, the river is alive. And it's constantly changing and moving and evolving. So that's why his eyes are constantly just scanning the waters the whole time. And he said, a fallen tree branch way over there will affect the current. And then he said, there are infinite paths you can take, but you can always trust the current. The current will always take you where you want to go. I love the river. It's not linear, guys. <laughs> no straight lines here, guys. It's not, it's, it's constantly changing. It's not stationary. It's not, you know, permanent. It's, it's fluid. It's infinite. It can't be defined. It can't be contained. It can't be categorized. It has no stops, no substations. You just keep going. There's no permanence. Life is always moving and changing. And there's no clear delineations, guys. No black and white here. There's nebulous blues and grays blending into each other. Have you ever looked in a river? Have you ever tried to say that area is black and this area is white? No, the moment anything, any color touches it, it's, it just becomes. And we can all affect one another through our choices like a fallen tree branch. But the good news is that there is a very massive underlying current in the river that always wins and directs the flow of life over every obstacle. And no matter what path we choose, as long as we stay in the raft, 
with our trusty guide <laughs> and we remain in the current, we'll get to our destination. God's purpose always prevails. And that's like that river. Nothing can withstand the river. Isn't that so refreshing? I love the river. <laughs> no more of trying to figure out, oh my gosh, do I need to like call that person today? Oh, if I, if I don't like go to that meeting, I'll miss God. And oh my gosh, like, huh, oh, is that guy the one? Oh my God. No, no, no more of that tippy toe business. <sighs> No more of that right place, right time. No, the river is overpowering. Imagine you in the river. You think you can tell the river where to go? No, the river's going to tell you where to go. And as long as you stay in it, he's got you. He's bigger than you. Amen. So what is that current? Well, that current is his love. His love always wins. His love always wins no matter what. No matter what choices you make, he wins. He, his love always wins. Like, gosh, I don't know how many bad choices I've made and somehow I'm still here. His love wins. His love is the current. And that the destination in which he's taking us to is his heart. And the one navigating is not in a rush. Right, Karina? (laughs) Amen. I like having shoes. (laughs) You guys are funny. Thanks. Amen, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I want to share with you something that happened. You guys are cracking me up. (laughs) So this whole my life exploding was in July 2011. I told the Lord, if you don't, I was living in Los Angeles at that time. I said, Lord, if you don't get me housing or a job before Thanksgiving, I have to come up to my parents um, to have a place to live. And I have to go there anyways for Thanksgiving. So I basically told God, if I don't find a place, don't find a job, I'm moving back to my parents. No job, no house. And I would, I don't have... Well, I don't want to say this. Um, no, I do. Um, my family dynamic is not the healthiest. So the thought of me moving home was very, it was a huge, like, okay, my life is over kind of moment. <laughs> I'm officially living at home. Um, so when I got there, I was super depressed. And I met up with my friend Cynthia at a Denny's in Emeryville after um, church at TLC with David Nyquist. And um, and 
I was sitting there and I was just full of just angst. Like I've been praying and I feel like I'm hitting this brass ceiling. Like I prayed for a job, nothing. I, you know, I lost everything. It's not getting restored back to me. I am trying everything. I'm trying even just to stay alive. It hurts to breathe. You know, I don't know if you've ever been to that place of desperation where it hurts to breathe. That's why you just want it to be over. That's where I was. And I'm just sitting there and I'm looking at my friend Cynthia going, Cynthia, where is God? Where is God? Suddenly, this is so unexpected, but God opened my eyes for a moment to see where he was. I felt like I was a fish in water, and suddenly I could see water. Suddenly, like this actually happened, and this doesn't happen often to me, but my physical eyes were open, and I literally saw God, and he was everywhere. I'm like looking around this Denny's. He, I can see literally God being breathed into people's mouths and breathing back out. I could see people's DNA, like God on their DNA. Like I could see, like I could see into them and I'm like, oh my gosh. And I, I mean, I'm looking at the booth at Denny's and I could see God in the table. Like do everything that exists on planet earth was spoken by his word into being. And so he's in everything. He, everything we see right now, he's inside. And I was like, I just looked around this restaurant and literally I could see, yeah, literally like it was like fish, like breathing in water. Like that's how much God is everywhere. And that's across this planet. I just saw it in Denny's, but that was literally happening across the planet. Every, there's no place I could ever look where God was not. We cannot get away from him. No, we cannot. I mean, can you imagine I, just the oxygen people were breathing? I could see God was inside the oxygen. He is truly the breath in our lungs. And when I saw this for a split second, open it up, I'm just like, my jaw just drops. And my friend Cynthia is like, what's going on? And I, I mean, thankfully she's super awesome, like seer too. And so I just told her, I think I just saw God. <laughs> And I was so blown away by how extremely beautiful and magnificent and wonderful and glorious he was. I, I like literally just wanted to fall flat on my face and just worship God in the Denny's right there. Cause it was so overwhelming. And then the, the next moment I'm like, okay. And then when my eyes returned normal, I, I immediately asked Jesus, why don't you let me see that all the time? <laughs> I know maybe I was being a little greedy, but I just want, I was like, I want to see that all the time. Why'd you just, it was like a split second. And, and he said to me, Sarah, if you let, if I let you see that all the time, you would no longer have choice. And if you don't have choice, you will no longer have love. Love requires choice. And then he proceeded to explain something to me. God is everywhere. It says in the scriptures that God is spirit and those who worship him will worship him in spirit and truth. So literally there is this unseen realm where God is everywhere. He is spirit. That's his realm. He's in the spiritual realm. He proceeded to explain to me, well, this is the analogy that he gave me. 
let's say there was a beautiful prince. I mean, he and everyone knew him in the land and he was just beautiful and he owned everything. He was like just incredibly wealthy, like regal. He had he has it all. And he wants to find a bride. But he wants to make sure that bride loves him for him, not for what he can give them. Not for how he looks, but for his heart. So this prince decides, I'm going to disguise myself. I'm going to disguise myself as a beggar. I'm not going to have any money from what they can see of me. I'm not going to have the good looks. I'm going to hide myself. And I'm going to go find myself a bride. And when she meets me, she will not see my wealth. She will not see my good looks. But hopefully she'll see my heart. And that's why God created the earth. The physical realm is actually his disguise. If we existed in the spiritual realm, we would be blown away by his glory and beauty 24-7. That's what happened to me. I was like, oh. And then I would no longer have choice. But he's looking for a bride who loves him for him. So he hides himself in plain sight. He's God. He's everywhere. So he had to create a realm where you can't see him. So that's what the physical realm is, guys. It's his disguise so we can't see him. But we can see him because his heart is everywhere. His love is everywhere. And it's the river. Does that make sense, guys? Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, I just, I'm like, look at this earth. It's beautiful, but it's a mask. It's hiding the true Reality of God being everywhere and being love. And he is carrying me like a current and his current always prevails. Can you feel it? I can feel it. I can feel it. When I was praying about what to share at Blazing. Originally, I was asked to share in creativity, but God had other plans. (laughs) He asked me to talk to you guys about the river. I want to read through this because I believe that this is part of the transition, the season change that is happening. It says, Now he brought me back to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water pouring out from the under the temple porch to the east. And he walked to the east with a measuring tape and measured off 1,500 feet, led me through water that was ankle deep. Then he measured off another 1,500 feet, leading me through water that was knee deep. And then he measured off another 1,500 feet, leading me to water that was waist deep. He measured off another 1,500 feet. By now, it was a river over my head, water to swim in, water no one could possibly walk through. I was asking God what was, 
you know, what, what exactly do you want me to share about the river? I felt like God said, you guys, as a community, we've gone from ankle deep water to knee deep water and now to waist deep water. But we're at a point right now in waist deep water, you need to make a decision. Either you're going to be in control or the river controls you. When you get to that point in the river where it comes up to here, you're like fighting. And that's, I think a lot of us are fighting right now. Like, oh, no, I want control. No, no, don't. I'm not going to be swept away by this God stuff. And there's an invitation right now. Are you willing to go deeper? And are you willing to get your heart in the river? Why do we want to go deeper? So the verse continues, or the passage, wherever the river flows, life will flourish. Great schools of fish, because the river is turning the salt sea into fresh water. Where the river flows, life abounds. Fishermen will stand shoulder to shoulder along the shore from Engedi all the way north to En Eglim, casting their nets. The sea will teem with fish of all kinds, like the fish of the great Mediterranean. I have a joke for you. Why did the fishermen cross the river? Why did the fishermen cross the river? To get to the other side. (laughs) Why do they want to get to the other side? Yes. That's where the fish are. How do you cross the river to get to the other side? Yeah. Heidi Baker and Bill Johnson, to me, I, I, I love studying people who God is just doing some incredible stuff with. And everybody I've ever read about that somehow comes into this amazing, like, you know, they're catching fish. Metaphorically, you know what I'm saying, right? Like, you know, leading thousands of people to Christ and touching, like, thousands of lives. Every single one of them came to this point where they had their heart, they had to make a decision whether they were going to let the river control them or they were going to be in control. Heidi Baker, she went to Toronto completely burnt out, but she talks about how she had her church of 150 and everything was so neat and orderly. And she was in control of her little ministry and congregation, but she was burning out. And out of desperation, like just feeling like this is the end, I don't know if I want to keep going, she goes to the outpouring at uh, the Toronto Airport Christian Fellowship. And she has a vision. And basically, Jesus is breaking off bread off of his body and said, will you feed them? And at first she's like, I can't, Lord, I don't have it. And she, I am enough. Will you feed them from my body? And she wrestles. 
Because she knew what God was asking her. Are you going to be in control or are you going to let me be in control? Are you going to let me be in charge? You might not understand what's going on. But are you going to trust in her vision? She saw herself, like Jesus handing out bread to her, feeding thousands. Her mind could not compute that. But she essentially stepped into the river and said, okay, I don't understand. I don't know how. I don't know when, where, what, why. But I give you a blank check. My life, I surrender to the river. Bill Johnson, same thing. He went to Toronto Airport Christian Fellowship. Did you guys know he got paralyzed there? I think it was for three days. He he became, what a weird manifestation, right? He goes down and can't he can't move for three days. And God asked him a question. And Bill's freaking out because he's like, oh, my God, I might spend the rest of my life paralyzed from Toronto Airport Christian Fellowship, an outpouring of the Spirit. And he's just thinking through, like, what am I going to do with my kids? I'm not going to, am I going to hold my grandchildren? What, what about my church? What about, and he's just running through, what about my wife? And God asked him a question. What if you're paralyzed for the rest of your life, but I anointed you and you carried my glory? Would that be okay with you? Makes no sense. Finally, Bill says yes. And thankfully, he was able to move again. But that's, I believe, where he wants to take us. William Paul Young wrote in his latest book, um, Eve. I highly recommend you read it. It's so good. I finished it in like a week and a half. It was that good. But he wrote, certainty is an imposter and control is an empty imagination. Guys, even if you think you're on the railroad, let me tell you, it doesn't really exist. This is a whole illusion, okay? It might exist in your mind, but it's not in real life. This is not real, guys. Certainty is a, is a joke. There's no substations. Come on. Whether we like it or not, we are in the river. And we are not in control. And we're actually safer surrendering to the river than fighting it, guys. A month ago, I went to Reading uh, with Teresa. And um, during worship, uh, Sunday night, I have a vision. And I saw this super dark black cloud in front of me. And I'm, I was about to rebuke it, actually. I was scared when I saw this humongous, thick, dark cloud in front of me. But the strangest thing is, even though my head was like, get away from that thing, my heart was like, walk into it. And I was like, my head was like, no, 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 run, 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 run. But my heart was being drawn And finally, I start stepping into the cloud. And I feel God's presence so strong. It 
if you set your compass towards God and you come into a place where you have no idea what's going on and you can't see anything in front of you, chances are you're getting closer to him. How many of you feel that way? Like, I don't I have no idea what's going on right now. I don't know what left, right, up, down. I don't know what the hinges is going on right now. Okay, good. You're getting closer, guys. And I'll show you scripturally. It says in Psalm 97, verse 2, clouds and thick darkness surround him. And when God visited Moses and the Israelites, God hid himself in the thick darkness. You want to get closer to God? Get used to the cloud of a knowing. Where you can't see anymore. You don't know what's going on. But it's okay, because you're not the one who's in control. The, the, only the driver needs to be able to see, guys. <laughs> An anonymous English monk in 1380 wrote a book called The Cloud of Unknowing. Um, Cloud of Unknowing. Yeah, thank you. Unknowing. It's hard to say. In the book, he writes, Between you and God, there is a cloud of unknowing. You cannot know God with words or ideas. You can only know God with love because he is love. You can only know God with your heart, guys. I mean, our mind, it's being renewed, but the heart knows a lot what's going on before the head could even catch up. For instance, the road to Emmaus, the disciples, they had no idea it was Jesus, but they were like, wait, weren't our hearts burning within us as we were walking with this man? Their heart knew all along, but the head was like, couldn't comprehend that it could be Jesus that they're walking with. So the monk writes, So humble yourself and seek God with the prayer of your heart. Only prayers of love from your heart can pierce through the cloud of a knowing. I believe part of this river thing of getting our heart in the river is that we're learning to be heart-led instead of mind-led. So much of this society is built on being mind-led. As long as you understand what's going on, then you'll step into it. But if you don't know then you're not going to do anything. You know what else is dark and unknown? Cocoons. Remember how I asked you guys earlier, how many of you guys feel like you're hanging by a thread? I think I know where you guys are. I think I know exactly where you are. I think you're inside of a cocoon. Look at that thing. (laughs) If you feel like you've been shelved, benched, hanging by a thread, maybe you're a caterpillar that's becoming a butterfly. Maybe that's what God's doing right now in your life. That cocoon is his presence. And that invisible thread 
is stronger than all the steel on planet Earth because God is that invisible thread. He's holding us, guys. You're in process, but there are no shortcuts. You can't rush. Actually, did you know that if you try to, like, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen a butterfly try to break out, but it's actually very painful to watch. Their faces are like, they're in complete agony, and they're like almost begging you to get them out of the cocoon. They're like, can you please get a pair of scissors and come me out of this thing? Like, that's what their faces look like. I'm sure that's what my face looked to you, <laughs> like you, to you, Susan, so many times. Get me out of this thing! <laughs> but there are no shortcuts in the process of transformation. There's no instant or automatic in spiritual development. And actually, if you cut them out, do you know what happens? They die. The struggle is what makes them come alive. It makes them who they are to become. And actually, when the butterfly is struggling, it's actually beating blood into its wings so it can fly. So you guys feel that. You're beating blood into your wings so that you can fly once you get out of this thing. Don't shortcut the process. Sue Monk Kidd, an awesome writer in her book, When the Heart Waits, writes this about the cocoon. Suspended upside down in the heart of a question, we touch the sacred space of real becoming. Stay in the mysteries of the cocoon. It's where your true unfettered, God-given self emerges by shedding off man's expectations of you. In the cocoon, you're shedding off man's expectations of you, and you are becoming your true God-given self through a painful process But in there, he weaves his DNA with yours, and you are transformed into his likeness. I want to talk about trust, because this is what it boils down to, guys. Going in the river requires trust. And what exactly is trust? I like Brene Brown's quote, trust is a product of vulnerability that grows over time and requires work, attention, and full engagement. Trust isn't a grand gesture. It's a growing marble collection. I feel like since I've been at Blazing Fire hanging by a thread in my little cocoon, 
I've been building a marble collection. I like what William Paul Young says. He says that trust is the fruit of a relationship in which you know you are loved. Every time you guys love on me and I love on you, I'm building a marble collection. You're building a marble collection. Trust isn't a grand gesture. Everybody would like to, I wish it would trust would be this easy where you just jump and you're like suddenly in the trust zone and you stay there forever. But literally it's a moment by moment choice as the river runs. As the river's going, you are choosing every time he says three paddles left and then right when you obey, that's trust. These last four years, since the broken engagement and losing everything, only in the probably the last month did it make sense to me. <laughs> I was in the dark, groping my way around, hoping to God that I would somehow come out of this thing. I was in the cocoon. I had no idea why my life was the way it was. I was, I went from ministry and filmmaking into working at Cisco. Do you guys know what Cisco is? It's a corporate technology company. And every day I would go, God, can I leave? God, when am I going to go back into ministry? God, my heart's not in this. God, what, what, and I mean, Diane, thank you, and Teresa, and Teresa, and, and Susan, and Karina, and so many of you guys who listen to me whine about my life. I'm like, why am I at Cisco? Why am I living at home with my parents? Why is this happening? How many of you right now, if you don't mind, raise your hands if your life does not make any sense to you right now. <laughs> Thank you. Good. And you've had promises over your life. I, people have told me, like, you're going to go preach to nations. And then I, like, ended up working, like, probably an entry, it's an entry-level job, like, doing all this work behind the scenes, never speaking. You're in the cocoon, everyone. Here's the alternative to trust. As I've been reading Eve, it's about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil versus the tree of life. And actually, thank you, Susan, for pointing this out to me. Because really, the river is a choice between the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil makes you the judge, the evaluator, the one in control, the one who calls the shots. It's built on what I call the six Ps. 
It's built on judging your performance and everyone else's performance and productivity based on people-pleasing, pretending, and perfectionism. So the six Ps, perform, produce, people-please, pretend, and perfect. Sound familiar? (laughs) These are the six Ps of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in the book Eve, it talks about how the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you get lured into it by a mirror. The mirror of self-evaluation. Where you're constantly just staring at yourself and comparing yourself with everyone else. If only my nose was a little bit bigger or smaller. Actually, it's probably smaller. If... (laughs) If only I was a little bit taller. If only I didn't have these wrinkles. It's just constant reflection upon your performance and your productivity. You're constantly staring at yourself in the mirror. And this is religion. Religion is a mirror where you're constantly evaluating what's good and evil, what's right and wrong, and no matter how hard you try, you never look good enough in the mirror. I mean, you could put on makeup for like... 3,000 days and you'll never feel like it's good enough. That is religion, guys. That's the mirror of religion. Do you know why it will never look right? No matter how hard you try to look right in this mirror called religion? It's because we weren't made to behold a mirror. We are made to behold a person. It's time to smash that mirror and return. To beholding him, the tree of life. Second Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. You become what you behold. And when you behold your imperfections, the imperfections will only get worse. Have you noticed that? When I become critical of myself, of like, oh man, I'm so prideful. All of a sudden, I feel even more prideful. And then all of a sudden, I feel even more. It's like magnifies. And that's what the mirror does. The mirror of religion magnifies your weaknesses, your brokenness, your failures, your insecurities, All what you perceive to be your flaws, it is not a truthful mirror. There's only one truthful mirror, and that's Jesus. We're made to behold him, and only in him can we see our true likeness, our true face, what we really look like. The river is his love. The cocoon of his presence is the raft. And the guide is Jesus. And as we choose moment by moment to face and trust him and remain in the current of his love, we will Exit out of this whole religious mess into relationship. Out of slavery of the train tracks and the railroad of this world 
into becoming a son and daughter, knowing we are sons and daughters. And we will also get to that multitude of fish that is waiting and yearning and crying out to be caught by him. I just want to invite right now, I feel like God wants to invite you guys. If you want that, if you want to say yes to this mysterious journey back to his heart and your heart, really. I just want to invite you. Wow. Okay. (laughs) To just respond by just standing up. Just say, yeah, I want that. If you're ready to get your heart in the river, if you're saying yes to the cloud of the unknown, if you're saying yes to the mysteries of the cocoon, Okay, I feel like God wants us to do a prophetic act. Um, I feel like, like in the spirit, as we, I feel like this, let's, let's believe this right here. This is the waist deep water. And we walk from this side in and get our hearts in. Do you guys feel that? Okay, cool. All right. So if you guys want, I feel maybe if you guys want to line up and, and just, yeah, line up on this side. And just as you do this, just imagine yourself. This is waist deep water and you're going in all the way. You're going into the river. Okay. Holy Spirit. Yeah. Do you want to help? Thank you for your shoes. Yeah, we can have some music. That's good. I'm going to pray over you guys. All right. Jesus, I just pray as we do this that this would be so in the spirit. Oh. Yeah. Just one point of instruction since children will need to be picked up imminently. I'm we're going to let every cuz we're a church of grace. Could all the parents come to the front? Because then you'll have to exit and go pick up your children on your way out, okay? So everybody who needs to has children to pick up, come to the front. Yeah. Okay. All right, Jesus. Mom, Dad, Jesus. 
I just pray, Lord God, as we, we just thank you, first of all. This was awesome, God. Thank you that you love your people and you want to speak to us and that you are inviting us into the river where we will be transformed. And God, I just pray that, Lord, as they cross this in the natural, that they will cross it in the spirit realm. Lord God, that they will cross into the, past the uh, waist deep water, getting their heart in the river. And God, that you would do the work of transformation and we would just yield to you moment by moment, Lord God, that, Lord, we would just ha- be, just have our face towards you and that, Lord, we would just trust and, and just, yeah, f- fall in love with you, really, <laughs> and yield it all to you. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, go ahead. <laughs>